This is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith, and I love horror in part for it being a genre that thrives on transgression and manipulating and challenging boundaries and ideas. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And I have always been drawn to horror because it gives us a very interesting venue, I think, to play with morality and to play with conceptions of good and evil. And particularly as comes up in this film, I think I notice how much I like horror as a place that lets me see what we think, what we as a society think good should be. Yeah. And this is a different episode because we are um, privileged to have a guest for the episode tonight. And... My name is Summer Harris, and I'm a huge fan of movies and stories and a fan of this podcast as well. So it's a joy to get to see the inner workings of how it works and get to talk with you, too. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you uh, you sitting in, Summer. We watched Crawl, the Alexander Asia film from 2019, and a synopsis of the film is a young woman attempting to save her father during a Category 5 hurricane finds herself trapped in a flooding house fighting against alligators. Directed by Alexander Asia, written by Michael and Sean Rasmussen, starring Kaya Scodelario as Haley and Barry Pepper as Dave. And that's all the people I'm going to mention because the they really anchor the film. You, Spoilers, you, I don't think so. I spoiled something. You talked about the worms. That's not... <laughs> you know, There's a bunch you, of worms on the poster. Did you spoil something? I thought I did. What did I spoil? Dang it. You talked about Alien? You didn't really spoil it, though. I will say that if you enjoyed this film as a creature film fan aficionado, if you would. I would recommend Lake Placid and Alligator, which is a film from, I don't even know, early 80s. Lake Placid, like mid-90s. Both of them are creature films also specifically about alligators. <laughs> I was going to say, if you like this gator film. <laughs> exactly. I remember liking Lake Placid. I saw it at the theater like 100 years ago, and I remember liking it. So I love that movie. I'll maybe second that, having not seen it. I rewatched that film years. like annually. All these things I didn't know about you. Now I feel like we're negligent for not having done a creature film since you like them so much. I yeah. didn't know it was like a thing we were lacking. But they they do rarely, as Summer points out in the episode, they rarely engage with a philosophical argument. You can find us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares, on Twitter at Collect Night, and you can find our entire backlog of episodes at our website, collectivenightmares.com. 
If you have thoughts about the podcast or suggestions for movies we should consider, please get in touch. And with that, we're going to dive into discussion. Who wants to go first? Summer? I was expecting there to be like one really big gator. So is that a disappointment? <laughs> there are multiple gators. No, it's just different than what I thought it was going to be. Because I did see the preview for this one. But there were a lot of normal sized gators. So I actually found that to be a positive for the movie. That they looked almost remotely reasonably realistic ish. I mean, not quite. They were like a little bit too large for real life, I think. For my gators. I don't know gators. I know it was yeah. Florida native, right? Not native, no, but I am a gator alumni. Did you ever go to a swim meet? Uh, no, I never even... Well, that's not true. I, I went to maybe one or two football games, but I don't think I ever stayed through a football game. No, I did not. But in Gainesville, I never saw an alligator. So you, and ever. you were there for school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I was there for like, what, five, six years? No alligator sightings. Also, no hurricanes because it's inland. My God, a Category 5 hurricane hit Gainesville. That's rough. I don't think that happens often. There's a joke in there somewhere about <laughs> Trump <laughs> penciling in... Well, circle for Gainesville, <laughs> but I can't totally right. put it together. <laughs> People like go to Gainesville to evacuate from the hurricane. So, man, I would hate to see what the coast looked like in that storm. But she didn't she leave Gainesville to go? Like she was at her swim team at is not where the university oh, is. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and Maybe then she drove two else. hours wherever to the. Oh, you're totally right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. she would have been fine if she had stayed at home. <laughs> So that's it? You expected one gator and there were... Yeah, not that that was a bad thing, that there are multiple gators. It's just <laughs> that was my expectations versus what ended up happening. And then the other main thing, I was listening for the sounds, for like for the soundtrack to see what approach they took there. And for a lot of it, there it was just like the wind and the rain. And then there was like the heartbeat sound that they with the bass that they would put in at kind of tense moments. And then the radio that was music coming from the story of the film. But other than that, there was not a lot of extra soundtrack because the hurricane was was most of the sounds. So that was one big thing that I just kind of noticed. And what did that do for you? Or not do for you? I mean, I was getting Jaws vibes. I haven't even seen Jaws, but I just know the like, da-da-da-da. da-da-da. <laughs> Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about that, like at the very beginning with the music that they had when they were swimming. And then there was one really big one, like right before we saw the first gator. One really big one, what? Really one, one really big, duh, kind of thing. <laughs> like not that exactly, but it was oh, like, there totally was. That's like similar that. to that. There totally was, and I was really disappointed actually when they made that noise. Really disappointed. First of all, I didn't want the creature to show up that soon. And secondly, that seemed like such a tacky, like, here comes the monster, kind of lead in. You're, yes, I totally re- remember that. How about, Not a fan. Let's, let's, let's do this. How do you feel about creature movies generally? Me? you have a favorite? Sure. We'll, we'll do everyone. I, this one was really pretty good. I think for what it was, and what it was is not my kind of film, really, but for what it was, it was solid, actually. 
I, I thought it was, and, and it made me think some interesting things, but nothing related to the, really the content of the film, very minimal related to the content of the film, but I enjoyed it because I was thinking interesting things and it was pretty overall tense and pretty good, I guess. Have you seen Jaws? Yeah. Jaws was pretty good too, but Jaws had the contrast between the idyllic and the non-idyllic, which kept coming up for me in this film because this film did not do that. And it's very interesting to have a horror film where it's not idyllic versus monster it's like solidly bad kind of everywhere and that morally makes things i think take a nosedive in terms of interest for me which i kept noticing in this film but yeah jaws had that that vibe going on like the idyllic seaside town i don't think i've seen any creature films really yeah i'm trying to think of ones i would have seen i'm really more like more of a psychological thriller kind of mind bendy kind of stuff or like supernatural creatures rather than sharks or alligators or bears or wolves. So what's different about them for you? Oh, that's a good question. I guess I just kind of think that naturally occurring creatures are predictable-ish. I like not knowing what the nature of the creature is, but in this film, we kind of know the properties of an alligator. Oh, interesting. That's exactly opposite. I feel like from what, well, I I agree with you, but in terms of interest, I feel like that's exactly opposite from where I lie. Like when a film starts to go supernatural, bizarre rules, it bothers me because then the rules aren't there anymore. And I like to play with the rules in terms of like the logic of what argument they're trying to throw out. And so like, yeah, as soon as the rules disappear, I feel like my, it turns it clown, right? Like it just turns like, ah, and then the crazy monster can whatever it reminds me of like an eight-year-old playing on the playground you know and like coming up with their rules about like now my thing can beat your thing because it has super radioactive power or whatever well it doesn't matter because i have a shield that can i don't know it just turns into one of those for me and then i lose interest (laughs) but i agree with you that they were very predictable i actually sort of saw that as a bonus personally in this one well right and i think there was a lot of visual unpredictability that comes with you know the characters are half underwater for most of the film, so literally you can't see half of what's going on on the screen, which makes it less predictable than if they were on land the whole time. I would like it if they had blurred their vision underwater, too. It was noticeable to me that you could you saw from the camera's view the person underwater, so they had their eyes open, and it's like you could see better than they could what they were looking at, and I would like it if we had seen it through their eyes. I think that actually would have been an improvement. You wanted some POV. yeah. Because it was really noticeable. The girl's down there with her... What's her name? I don't know her name. Haley? Was it Haley? Uh, With her eyes open, looking at alligators and whatever, and everything's crystal clear because we're in the camera. But I thought that would have been way creepier if you were actually her in that mucky water with your eyes open. You'd see something, but you wouldn't see what we saw. I agree with that. There were two thoughts on that path. And one was they didn't have a nice... It wouldn't be as good as Jurassic Park, but they didn't have like a this is the rule these are the rules, Jurassic Park, let's educate the audience so we understand where we're going. They never had that. And then somewhere when they get outside of the house, he's like, well, if you don't splash, they can't see you. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> that like, annoyed me. And then I was sort of like, well, they could have still been fine with that if it was like, well, the alligators know we're in this basement. So even if we don't splash, they like... You know, they can still find us by looking around or whatever. And now it's the great big open. So they're, they could have, they still could have worked around it, but they didn't. 
Well, those are the two things. And I thought, I was like, I don't know how alligators work. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you mostly, except I will say I appreciated when dad threw out the alligator rules really briefly in the basement, like right at the beginning. I don't remember. (laughs) But I remember he did it and there were like two of them and I think I didn't really care or something. But it was like whatever he said about like, so they, you can go faster than they can. Maybe it was one of them and it was the other. Oh yeah, or they're, they're faster in the water. You're faster on land or something. Yeah, it wasn't there. I feel like maybe there were two. It's like when he just woke up and she goes off to do whatever she was doing. Yeah. And I did like that it was a little understated, at least in contrast to like a quiet place. I like that they just put them out there, but That's they didn't true. make it like this big thing. Like here are the alligator rules. Okay, audience, are you listening? <laughs> right. Here's what's going. Like they just kind of tossed it in, and I, I did sort of like that. But I will agree with you then that. I would like them to have tossed them in and just had maybe a little bit of explanation or have it make sense or something. Cause they did seem to evolve over the course of the film. And those alligators seemed brutal when they were attacking anybody, but a main character. Right. And then the main character was like, they pretty much just kind of stood there while it like bit their arm. And it's like, they were kind of okay. Whereas like from 20 feet away, they could attack a stranger and yeah. just like dead half yeah. a second. Right. Which was a bit weird. Right. So have you seen a lot of creature films? I, I love creature movies. Really? Yeah. How do I not know this? I'm all over it. I love it. I love them. Let's see what I let's see what I could do. Anaconda, Lake Placid, Tremors, The Relic is a underrated uh, classic. I would put Arachnophobia, Eight Legged Freaks, like those uh, those are creature movies essentially. Food of the Gods is like the old school, the '70s radioactivity. Makes things giant. <laughs> Squirm. Anybody ever watch that? Squirm. What's that? It's worms coming for you. Are they just like little? <laughs> they really big? <laughs> they are, but there's a lot of them. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like down power power lines in a torrential rainstorm. So all the <laughs> worms are like supercharged or whatever. That sounds all right. <laughs> Frogs is one. I actually haven't seen that. You have, like, a vast repository of <laughs> creature films. I had no idea. Yeah, I love a good creature movie. So what'd you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was very intense and suspenseful. I, too, noticed the lack of idyllic. They kind of had those pauses where it was like, let's talk about why we divorced, which was not the same as having, like, a respite, I don't think. I don't think it did as much for the for that cycle of like building tension like escalation and then release and then you can that heightens the next wave because we i mean we never even met mom it it was just it was really i don't know exactly what they would have built that on it just seemed unnecessary i don't know i don't know what else what we would have done for the characters i I think it could have just been dad could have just been her and dad bonded over swimming, and she was the one who went down there. I, I don't think we needed divorce and different home. And so I felt like there was actually a little bit of a thread there. Not that I'm sure. I, not that I it really did much for me, I guess. But I feel like there was a bit of a thread about 
them getting out of being trapped, like almost in maybe anti-nuclear family, a little bit kind of vibe, which I kept, I landed on that by the end of it because I kept thinking throughout the whole film about the contrast with like slasher films and especially why I was bored at the beginning of this. And I don't think am as bored usually in a slasher film at the beginning, which we can maybe table and come back to later. But I found it interesting at the end of this film that it looked like if there was commentary, it was commentary on the fact that they needed to everyone needed to get out of this kind of nuclear family setup that they were stuck on it mentally right and and i thought that very literally when the boat gets swept back into the house and it's like oh god we're back in here again and then there's all this there's the commentary with Haley and her sister at the beginning on you need to get out of you know it was a mutual decision you need to let this go you shouldn't be upset and then we've got the dad who's still wearing his wedding ring which they showed us and he's you know pictures of the family all over the house and he's still kind of stuck in that and then Haley toward the end tells him our home is us it's not this house this doesn't matter and there seems to be this building argument that what they really need to do is get out of being trapped in that which felt yeah different at least very counter to the types of films that I kept throwing back to in my mind when we were watching it that's good i was feeling like because i picked up on kind of that thread as well and i was feeling like early in the film that they were just way overplaying the coaching stuff okay he was her coach she's gonna save him cool we get it but maybe if that thread was tied into then her showing her dad to get out of that stuckness in the family then that could actually then maybe they didn't overplay the coaching piece if they were meaning it kind of in that sense. But I still think they could have maybe played down some of the coaching bits and given us more information about what was going on in the family to make that all fit together. Right. Sister could have been queer or something and mom could have been sleeping around. (laughs) Just something not nuclear family. You know what I mean? Like, oh, she's happy. She's doing her own thing. Just to provide more of a contrast. And dad kind of gave us that a little bit when he talked about mom, that she was, oh, she has a second chance or she's happy or whatever it is. But you kind of got the sense that both of the two characters who were in the house were metaphorically at least stuck in the house. And the other family members, apparently the other sister and the mom, had moved on and thought this was kind of okay. And it did seem to be their struggle to get out of the house. And I would say to rebond in that process because they had become alienated through the whole hang up on the house and on on wanting the family back together. And so in that way, I think it made sense to have that there, at least. I feel like that actually tied together an argument. I don't think they did enough with it large scale, really. But But when they got swept very literally back into the house, I thought, like, this has to be on purpose. This feels... Feels like they're getting at something. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't. I didn't get that, or I didn't pick up on that. Uh, quick side note: I forgot perhaps the greatest creature film of all, and that is Alien. The Thing. Those are creature movies. What I loved about The Thing is that you don't really ever see the thing, right? Not really, but it's still a creature. Yeah. Movie. It comes at night. I, I don't know. I mean, that's not a creature. It's a zombie, I think, but we don't know because we don't see it. Zombievers was. Actually, remotely okay. <laughs> I was really shocked. I, you said this already, but I was so shocked that we saw the gator so early in this one. Totally. Because I thought it was going to be more of a build-up with what, <laughs> what is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It felt too early to me. Like, oh, man, the gator's already here. And then, 
everybody gets super injured immediately. I didn't know they had super healing powers, this family. Cause like at first I thought, Oh God, we're back. It's like deliverance. We're like back with the guy with the broken leg on the canoe or whatever. Like this is just going to be disaster watching these people drag their terrible injuries for an hour and a half through this film. I love that you remember anything about deliverance. Other than the fact that what's uh, his name gets raped. The only thing I remember about Deliverance is the guy with the broken leg. Is it Burt Reynolds? <laughs> I don't know who it is. That's what. I, that's all I remember it's about Deliverance. Ned Beatty. Okay, it was a long, long time ago. Really long time ago. But you're aware that the film is most notorious for a man being raped. I, since you've told me since, but oh. it, it was a really long time ago when I saw okay. it. That's a topic for a different day. <laughs> I thought that, yeah, I thought this was great. I, I thought it looked like a movie that was a nightmare to make. I mean, shooting half in water, half out, having actors do all this physicality and stunts, and there's, it had to be some mix of practical effects and CGI gators. You've got wind, whether or not, I'm, I don't know how much of it was, must have been a lot of soundstage, but even still, like, a mess. Ugh. They didn't unveil like a super gator at the end. I totally thought when she found the eggs, it was going to be like, those babies. Now here comes mom. You know, she's <laughs> this much bigger because gator. I was so thankful for that. For exactly the reason that your explanation highlights. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's all they can do. Because... Cause I don't know. Cause it's one of these movies. <laughs> and have you just seen Megalodon, the Meg? Did anybody watch that? No. That's totally what they did. They like didn't show the creature for like the first hour of the movie, which was one of the big complaints about the film. Yo, this is a creature film. <laughs> Literally, nobody's been attacked for an hour, <laughs> and then they had, then they did Megalodon, and then they did. Uber Megalodon, whatever it was. So they like, have the, yeah, like, oh, this one's dead. But there's another one, <laughs> and it's even bigger, or whatever. I think because I don't like creature films, I just like it the more they remove the creature from the film. You so like, if we it. never see it, that's awesome. <laughs> if they make it completely realistic, great. <laughs> like, it doesn't have some super radioactive spawn. Perfect. I have, again, for a creature film, I thought it was shot well. I thought they played a lot. Like, I agree with you that they could have been some POV from the characters rather than just, like, the monster cam or the cam or omniscient cam. But it was it was shot really well. Things were framed interesting. Things Camera movement was done so that you got the foreground movement or the way background movement to create suspense of, like, how far away are we? Where are we going? So this is Alexander Asia directed this, who has uh, has made I thought I think has made a number of excellent films. He started with High Tension, and which I think is ex- just an extraordinary movie. Maybe we should rewatch that at some point. And then he did Mirrors, and then he did Piranha 3D. So he's done a creature movie before, which was totally like throwback, campy '80s intentionally. Versus this, which is a series, serious films, film. I think he did the remake of The Hills of Eyes. Oh, yes. I think you're right. Uh, which I thought was impressive. It was freaky. It was scary. He made Horns, which I never watched, with uh, Harry Potter, with Radcliffe. 
Yeah, no, I didn't see that either. It seemed, no. It just seems like an odd but interesting concept. Like, all I know about it is he starts growing horns. Really? And it's like how he deals with that. It was filmed oh, in Squamish. I haven't seen it. I've seen one short clip from Oh, it was filmed where you Yeah. That sounds really good. And You didn't mention that. Did you get to see Asia? Hmm? Were you there when it happened? No. Or maybe, but I didn't know if it... I don't remember it, it happening. Anyway, I... Go ahead. I'm wondering if I saw it. Because I have this this image of someone, like, yeah, growing things out of their head and trying to cut them back or trying to... If so, I might have liked it. I don't know anything about how he negotiates that or what it does or where the story goes. That sounds cool. Maybe we should do that one. Sounds kind of interesting. Anyhow, I I was... So I was happy to watch this. And yeah, for a creature film with it, it was great. I kind of think they could have had some contrast with, like, a break of, like, we think we're safe. I'd like to throw that, that contrast out as even more of a... Uh, there's some words here I'm not quite sure, we'll, but I think I can figure out what I'm getting at. Because I think the the presence of the idyllic in a film, at least I realized this in the experience of watching it, does a lot for who, what is demonized in the film. And in this film, because there wasn't that, because there was no society, I guess, against which you were contrasting the bad, it was really... I thought devoid of argument for the whole, up until dad and daughter had their little heart to heart about why the divorce happened or whatever. Then I feel like the movie got some cohesion because at least the fight was based around their tension and their kind of argument. And that to me gave it somewhere to go. But before that, when it was just like two people who kind of know each other are running from alligators and there's an alligator there and then there's one here. And it was really noticeable. First of all, how, how bored I was. But then, secondly, I started thinking, like, how is this different from, like, a slasher movie? People are scared. They're running from some kind of monster. There's some danger. There's violence. And why in slasher movies am I, like, not bored? I thought the experience of a slasher is really different because in a slasher, you've got this perfect backdrop, always. And and perfect can vary, although it's very often one certain early 80s kind of version of perfect, which now has come to, I think, feel like that genre so much that... I expect it almost. I mean, and I would say it was there in Jaws as well. But here's what society is like supposed to be. And there's this like evil lurking out there and you can't really understand it and you can't explain it. And it might pop up anytime or if there are rules, they're kind of ill-defined. And you've got people kind of walking around in society with this fear pitted in their stomach that like the bad thing is going to happen. And there's something about that that I think really resonates with, I mean, maybe just with people, with me at least, to make the whole experience more effective because it, it feels like, I don't know. It it feels like this tension of you're here, you're, you're in a world like this, but is there something else? And is that something else bad? And that I think can be a really interesting set of questions or at least very morally charged set of questions. Cause when you watch the old slashers, it's clear what they're laying out is good. And even though I, I look at that often and see it as a bit problematic, especially from the viewpoint of now, you know, that it's very, Whatever. It's very centered around virginity and, and purity and I think wholesomeness in a certain way that I wouldn't necessarily agree with now. But that's very, very different than what we experienced in this film because this was so much, there was just a monster and there was no society against which you were contrasting that monster and you weren't, you weren't enmeshed in any view of should. I guess that's it. There was no should. I mean, should, you don't want to die. Okay. But that's not, that's not an argument about society or an argument about 
morality. And that was really noticeably absent. So what if the contrasting piece is her being a swimmer because she's trying to win competitions that are set up within this construct versus her being a swimmer because it's a life or death situation where she's competing against, I guess, her own ability to save herself rather than um, like competing against other people for a trophy or a medal. Because there was that conversation that they had where he was like, that girl was able to swim to the other end of the pool holding her breath and you couldn't, but then you went outside and you figured it out and you're a fighter. And that's when I knew that you weren't going to give up or whatever. So what if that's a piece of the of the commentary? I feel like that certainly gave their team a character. They seemed to be like team perseverance after they had that talk. And and then I think you're right that it was like, we're going to fight against all odds. We're fighters and we're, and it, it's like they had their flag, I feel like at that point. And that made it a much more interesting film. I agree. I think that was a turning point in the film where it suddenly became interesting because it became kind of about something. Although I don't know if I, I wouldn't yet call that a moral argument in terms of like what, what they were juxtaposing it with. I mean, maybe you no, but say, it's just a little bit more to yeah. latch on to. Yeah, I agree with you. Because I was thinking at the beginning, the first words in the film were something along the lines of, don't cry, You'll even if they win now, you'll win in the end or something. And then if you take that sentence and apply it like over the whole film, them winning in the end was being able to stay alive. I think you're exactly right. And I do think that that really gave, like I said, like structure to the second half of the film. I think you're, I think you're right for sure. What did you guys think of the shark bobblehead at the beginning? I just like, (laughs) I I love those little details. I thought that was funny. I want to go back a little bit. I think part of the appeal, and I've heard this argument made part of the appeal of creature films, as well as part of the appeal of extraterrestrial alien films are it's an easy other for everyone to be against. And you don't have these, any ambiguity or complicated questions about who's good and who's bad. It's like, they're bad. And we don't have to demonize anyone or question anyone. We know what's bad and we know, yeah. So it's people versus whatever else. And that's, I think that's part of the appeal of Independence Day as a film is, is it's like, there's no easiest way to form an in-group is to pit them against an out-group. I totally agree with you. And I also think like the monsters and slasher films would fit that as well, for the most part. But the big difference, I think, is the, is the contrast of good. I think in slasher films, just like in creature films, bad is pretty much bad. There's very rarely much problematizing of who bad is or like is bad really bad I mean you could argue there are a couple moments in like there were the moments where like Mike Myers oh is he gonna recognize his sister or whatever you know like there's some humanity I mean I think Silence of the Lambs is the film that does that yeah if you look at like 80s slashers or even just slashers in in general kind of I wouldn't put Silence of the Lambs in a slasher category those the monsters I think are are just demonized just about as well as the monsters in a, in a monster film. But I think it matters whether you have good in your, in your film, because if you do, then it's like, you're saying what, right. You're saying what we want. And then you're showing some threat to what we want. And here there was like nothing we want. 
I mean, to be alive, but that's like very, again, it's just, it's very much okay. We'll coalesce as a team because we want to live. I mean, it's, it's very, I guess, simple in a sense, but I think slashers were meant to be simple as well. And that's what makes them so interesting that they're like a real reflection of society at the time because good is, it's taken for granted. The monster in a slasher film is bad. Of course, good is good. Of course. And then we just play that out. It's like the same thing here, except no good. And that was the noticeable absence, I thought. Well, right. And then a slasher film is who's who gets to survive. And here... The good, right, in a slasher film, typically, would right, possibly get to right. survive. Yeah, uh, right, exactly. Which is why we slasher films are the great like entry point for film analysis. It's right. Good survives by... Or those that survive are good... I can't, remember, I can't think which order that is. But yes, we know who's condemned because they they get killed. We know what's being cast as disposable or as less worthy of survival. And here we've got the crooks who die. Even the one who's like, oh, there might be people over there we should actually think about helping. And that would maybe seem to say something, except we also have the rescue people <laughs> who also are just as easily dispatched. So there's no... There's no range or or commentary of who should survive, I guess, other than uh, our, our folks who are perseverance. I don't know why the hero heroic people are perseverance. And then you said something about the context for slasher films of being this 80s idyllic version whether it's summer camp or suburban neighborhood. And, and then it's often that the institutional, the institutional protection, the social safety net is, has failed. The cops can't save us. Um, the counselors can't save us, uh, whatever, which was just, I, there's a piece I'm missing from what you said. So help me fill this in. The funny thing about this is it is rescue people who save them. So it is the institution. And really the whole film is predicated on the guy, on the fact that this dumb jackass wouldn't fucking evacuate when he was told to fucking evacuate. And in response, he ends up with the crooks dying, which is incidental, but two cops who end up dying because they're looking for him who didn't need to, if he would have just evacuated, if he weren't Mr. Stubborn macho man, whatever. And he wouldn't have put his daughter through all this, presumably ending her swimming career. And they wouldn't have had had this chopper of emergency rescue people flying out into the middle of a hurricane to try and rescue them again. So it's like, dude, you think you're like Mr. Libertarian and you're on your own and you're Mr. Survivalist. All you do is get in your fucking car and leave. You have a fucking (laughs) car. We know it. You've seen it. So it's, it is, I just, there had to be, that had to be said of like the context in this is society's working. You just ignored it. So it's like exactly opposite. Like the, the, the radio is there. The weather people are there. They're telling you, we've got people on the roads telling you how to evacuate. It's like you made your own mess and you've, you have gotten yourself out of it in the sense that you got yourself under the roof, but you didn't get out. All you did was get back to start where society can save you, where the social safety net can rescue you at great risk and cost to them. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you're saying, Marshall, because that kept kind of coming up throughout the film, but I think I couldn't quite 
put it together as eloquently as you did. I, yes, absolutely. Which actually, you're right, really kind of undermines our argument about the fighters and the we're going to get through this because you're right, both of them took a bunch of steps that the functioning structure of society said, hey, don't do. I mean, even starting at the beginning when Haley calls her sister and she's like, you're at swim practice in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> they constantly, yeah, overstepped what they should have Ex- boyfriend told her, you cannot, I cannot let you go down here. This is unsafe. This is not smart. And then he came back in a much more reasonable way. Like he said, he yeah. would help and he came on his little boat thing. Right. <laughs> Right, which, right. So he would have, dad would have had somebody come help who... Wouldn't have found him, probably, but whatever. I mean, arguably, like you said, that's what should happen, is that the rescue people shouldn't be swimming into other people's basements to try to see if somebody decided to stay. It's that person's job to presumably heed the warnings, or at least people who have the means and have the ability to heed those warnings. And he did. He was not destitute. I mean, he was injured because he had gone there, but he didn't have to be there at all. Like, like you say, it wasn't it wasn't New Orleans where people were without transportation, without uh, mobility or options. Well, then if we map that to your nuclear family, it's like you really got to get out of the nuclear family. <laughs> get out of the house. Let it go. <laughs> Walk away. It'll serve you better in the end. You already let her get divorced. If you're free from this, let it go. It's just a house. Which, that's a contradiction, too. Like, if he was like, oh, you know what? She's happier. She needed to go. This is already a done deal. Why is he still hanging out of the house? Even mentally. I, I like what you're saying. And in that way, almost it makes sense that the the rescue people, that the rest of society was functioning. Because it becomes then not a commentary. If it is sort of an anti-nuclear family, it's not even really anti-nuclear family. Like, no, it's not that. It's like anti-pro-nuclear family when you shouldn't be, I think, kind of commentary. Because it's not saying like the nuclear family is necessarily problematic for everybody. It's saying like in a situation where it breaks down, you have to be willing to let that go and don't like hang on to the ideal of it beyond the point where it's actually functioning to help anybody. But if that's like the commentary, Maybe it is. I mean, there's not much commentary there, so maybe that's the commentary we've got. Then the the contrast with society actually functioning kind of fits in a way because it's not. Then it doesn't become like everything is broken. The way we do things is totally wrong. It's like <laughs> no, things are basically all right. Evacuate, move on with your life. I so enjoyed the film. I felt I felt I felt as far as a amount of suspense and tension throughout the film. Given, given especially the low body count, and uh, I guess just given the low body count, there's what else was I thinking? That I, I was put off a little bit by Gator chomps through the body of everybody else, but it's good you've got it's your arm and its mouth, and somehow that doesn't sever this time. So you can shoot it, and then she seems totally fine. Twenty minutes later, it's like healed basically, or something. I guess that's maybe my bar for creature films of... That's okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that doesn't bother me that much. They're, you know, groaning from pain or whatever. The only thing is, and this, from what you brought up, somewhere about the opening, is I felt some incompleteness with the fact that they didn't go back to her swimming. 
for whatever reason. You know, they could have had her, I don't know, dissolve to a month forward. They could have done a few things. She could have been like, I'm done with the team. I'm just going to swim for myself now. Or she could have been like dominating, you know, even though she had been injured. Now she's because she's like learned to swim 100% all out all the time. Just something that would have like tied that bookended that. Or maybe given her a bigger insecurity about her swimming at the beginning that then she has to overcome when she's in the house. Something like that. Right, right. Yes, that would have been work too. Or like at the very end, I guess she does swim to the boat. And she like outswims the gators. They could have something to connect that more. Something to connect that more to she's pushed through this mental block. Or she now understands that... Yeah. Right, because the only tie back after she gets in the boat, she says, yeah, I'm an apex predator, which is just what her dad said to her at the beginning. So there wasn't any kind of overcoming. For her. Yeah, right. It was still her dad's. It was still from the outside. It should have been like from her. Mm-hmm. I w- I'm going to do it my way or for myself or, you know, maybe my dad encouraged me, but this is my time to become independent and... Why do you think they put the eye of the storm piece in there? Because that was right before she swam to the boat. Maybe they just wanted to show like, hey, this is cool. It gets really calm in the middle of a hurricane. Or there's something about being calm in the eye of the storm and then swimming faster than a gator. Like that being calm enabling you to do the thing. But there wasn't enough there that it felt like they were really trying to do something. I just noticed that part. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. It's, a, it's I'm glad you brought that up in terms of using setting and weather to reflect on what's happening. That was totally a cool opportunity. They used it pragmatically, right? To make the rain. Because didn't they say like the, the rain was going to protect them as they were like moving across the whatever and then the rain oh, stopped? Right, right. 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 But, it, it, that was enough background splash to... Just so the gators couldn't target them and their splashing. I guess based on that bizarrely new alligator rule that may or may not be accurate. Maybe it is. But yeah, I don't know if it was meant to be. Because I guess something would need to have been going on with their relationship at that moment. I think, right? Wasn't that mainly the arc? Their bonding, I guess. And then, yeah, overcoming the odds. Yeah. I was confused by that part. That moment right before she swam to the boat, to be honest. Confused, huh? Just, like, where the film was going. What they were going to do once they got the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, let me think about it. Yeah, Omar, we're waiting on you, buddy. What's happening? I heard that was Chris coming in. Yeah, I thought so, too. There was a near drowning. Couple. That's the, that's the one I don't like. Yeah, I'm aware. That's yeah, I I'm actually have that issue too. <laughs> uh-huh. Are we still rolling? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that actually, that image right before the father get out, got out of the basement where he's like holding his mouth to the top of the the ceiling in the basement, that's like one of the most cringing things for me to watch on film. 
Or like when she was going through the pipe, I like held my breath to see if I could like hold it for the same amount of time. And then I just gave up. I was like, there's no way. (laughs) That's kind of cool. You just need to break through your mental barriers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe. I don't know. Keep practicing. Yeah. (laughs) The the crushing joints is what bothers me. Having crushed a joint. I'm still going to go with motion sickness on a bus. It's <laughs> like, like the worst. <laughs> Which I understand is weird and not entirely appropriate for horror movies in general, unless it's perfection. And then I will say that was the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think it's even. I think that's like a small component. Oh, really? But I think it's really just the trapped and the stuffiness and the like. Oh. I hate tummy sick stuff. It's just really unpleasant. Maybe better than getting eaten by an alligator drowning. I don't know. There was a moment in this film that reminded me of perfection because she had the bugs fall down when she was trying to open the trap door, which I totally wasn't expecting. That would have been probably worse for me than the whole alligator thing. (laughs) I'm glad she freaked out because I totally would have freaked out too. It looks like the film was pretty effective for you, Summer. Like, I saw you You jump. Oh, yeah, I jumped a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, jokes. it was definitely scary, but I also like to have like a a really clear philosophical argument, but that's not like hit over the head too many times. And that was the one piece that I wasn't finding in this film. But yeah, oh yeah, I jumped a lot. <laughs> Lots of suspense. Almost so much that I was like starting to feel nauseous. And then when they were back in the house, it's like, oh my God. And when she was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, yeah, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> They're back in the house again. <laughs> Round two. Uh, that is probably what, what separates in particular the thing and alien from virtually all other creature films is they're able to map it into a philosophical argument. Hmm. and the relic to a lesser extent also but yeah I mean that's part of what made this a a scary film was that you the, the characters couldn't really think their way out of it it was like a chronic scare there were a lot of small jump scares in it but it was like an exhaustive scare rather than like one climactic scary point yeah, and they held that tension. Wow. I have to say, the characters did, other than just be not evacuating in the first place, they, at a micro level, they made good decisions. Definitely. Generally speaking, they, like, went for, got a radio, or they got a flashlight, or got a tool, or got a gun, or distracted, and coordinated, and, you know. Definitely. And I, I liked that they, the sort of... Like you said, chronic nature of the threat. I like that they evoked that emotionally because I really did feel like that was, I guess I like horror films that, that evoke horror that you can relate to, even if you can't relate to the alligators per se, you can relate to that feeling of just being constantly beaten down. And like, it's so hard and it's such a struggle and you think you're out and then you're right back where you started. And then it's so hard and it's, and you think you're out and then you're right back where you started. And so I feel like they did that actually really effectively. And that was, that was a noticeable difference from, a lot of, not necessarily just creature films, but horror in general. They, they did a really good job with that feeling. Cujo is probably my favorite example oh, of Cujo. evolving a feeling that feels very reminiscent of real life, 
Um, Cujo, I thought Cujo was spectacular, and I don't know if you'd call that. I wouldn't I really call it a Cujo since I was like thirteen. Actually, I don't know if I've seen it. I read the book, but what was so I thought brilliant about Cujo is that there was this like creeping sense that completely normal, non-threatening life starts to become threatening, and then this just a little bit like over time, you know, because if you remember the setup for Cujo, it's like a mother and son are in a car. In the driveway, I think they pull into like a neighbor's drive or something. For some reason, they're in the drive. And the son, I think, needs some kind of medication or something. And the medication was in the house. There's some reason why they have to get to the house from the car, but it's like three feet, whatever. And there's a scary dog like between them and the house. And that's that's it. And like it's a very mundane setup. And I don't remember if the car, for whatever reason, if they're stuck there. But it's just a, a sort of creeping, like everything's normal. And then there's like one little obstacle, but it's like a mundane daily kind of obstacle. And then it's just little things start to, oh, wait, what if you were stuck in this car for days? Well, you have no water. Oh, gosh, is this, wait, am I just, is this like a totally normal day or am I like going to die? Oh, my gosh. And it, like little things like that keep happening. That was really cool. This felt different, but it was the same kind of thing. It was like a very, an emotions you might experience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Do we have more? My big take-home was the lack of commentary on good. I don't think I had noticed that as a point in movies before. I I don't know if the presence of the good was as noticeable as it was in this film where it wasn't there. But I think that's interesting when, when you don't know what you're comparing bad to. I thought it was an excellent example of a creature film, shy of philosophical argument. It was like a study in competent filmmaking. One thing that it did for me that I wasn't expecting at all was put a put an image to what it would look like for a house f- full of family history just to be totally flooded cuz I've seen like those photos of people sitting on their roofs after hurricanes but I hadn't that's the extent to which I've thought about that and I've just like never lived in a part of the world where that is a issue and I mean obviously this is a really extreme case that these characters are stuck in with all the gators swimming in their house. But um, I feel like I have a little bit more, a little bit more understanding of, of all of the details of what actually goes underwater when that happens. I like that. Yeah. I think the last thing I'll say is it was, I thought it was well acted and she was a little dependent on dad a couple times, but overall it was cool to see her be capable and skillful and tough and independent and agentic. And she, she was the star of the film. Dad was a secondary. When was she too dependent on dad? Cause I actually thought he was dependent on her probably a lot more than she was on him. Uh, doesn't she, she, had, she at some point like cuddled up to him and like sobbed. I mean, I understand he is dead, but <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. And she dragged she does, him. She does save him. <laughs> Twice, three times. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. Consistently. So that's true, too. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is good. You can find our entire catalog of episodes at collectednightmares.com. Please like us, follow us, and if you would, rate us on iTunes. Horror films are our collective nightmares.
I won't say it's finished, but no, yeah. but it's totally, uh, it, and it's something. So here's what I was thinking: is it's a rubric we teach it's sociologists, so that's a way to actually structure our episodes. So at the end of each episode, which we probably I, we should have done for this, but that's fine. We can do it in the future. We can grade it on a scale of realism or social responsibility in filmmaking or social responsibility for horror. I totally forgot that that was something I wanted to bring up in this episode. Oh, I'm totally bummed. That, I mean, I guess we can always cut back in. But I wanted to bring up the fact that this contradicts a little bit the rubric we were just... Well, does it? It may. I don't know. We were just talking about how super important it is that you... If you depict violence that actually happens and that is problematic, that you depict that in ways that are, you know, morally appropriate. And depending on how realistic the issue is. But like I think like, are... people drowning in basements in hurricanes happens like all the time. And I mean, gator attacks, well, that happens. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it felt a lot of this actually felt non-monstery, but it was non-human also. It wasn't like human aggression on other people, but it felt what, you, you're not feeling that? No, it's, Gator attacks like two people every I, year. I don't even know how many, don't, but I it's got to be some small Where's my number. phone? <laughs> it's like a really big number and you're just not aware of the problem. But that thing, it's fucking full. They should have left. People being... But, <laughs> they deserve there to are, die. Are, there are many valid reasons why certain groups of people often don't evacuate during hurricanes that are not related to their right, moral that, failings. These were not those people. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But still, that's... The point still stands of that we should have... I mean, it's still a rubric. A rubric is not like an end-all, be-all of how you create a paper. You can go outside of what the typical rubric is. But it's still a cool way to cap the episode of, say, I'm going to give the grade a A or a B or whatever. I like it a lot. I don't know if I want... I think it needs to be an evolving rubric in that way. Because I think a rubric is kind of final. And I don't want it to be like a static thing. My rubrics evolve. Your rubrics don't evolve. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, like like you said, how about at the end of the episodes grading it on its moral responsibility? I think it's great. Yeah. Well, I, let's call, I would like to call it like social, social sociological so, sure. we, responsibility or something. Something sociology. Sure. But yes. I Just that, for branding, but the concept, yes. I yeah, agree. I think that's good. I think it's a great way to structure shit. What do you I think? How many alligator attacks are there? Because then we have like a that? thumbs up, thumbs down. It's like an easy, understandable thing. And then someday in the future, we can be known. <laughs> Much like the I Bechdel like test. I like it could be the Patterson-Smith rubric of horror film social responsibility. I like that. I'm thinking, actually... We'll be known for if, our catchy name. If That's we, like uh... Words <laughs> so there was that. I was thinking that... So we, we've got this list of kind of things going that are kind of running jokes like the it clown which you mentioned what are some other things oh and you mentioned quiet place whiteboard yeah i think pig kicking should be a <laughs> so give me the aside from the fact that it gave me nightmares for three days what's Did the reason really? i was really but i texted you after that and i was like i'm i want to downgrade my assessment of this film because purely based pig on pig? yes pig kick? yes pig pig? yes which one yes. was that cannibal holocaust okay yeah i haven't listened to the episode yet it's the- <laughs> a pig gets kicked. Which, That's horrific. Again, we made this whole argument that like killing something and then eating it is sort of okay. And so, if you're gonna like show it, like showing people what we do anyway, 
you know, it may be like offensive to us, but it's not like a moral transgression. If anything, it's actually showing you your own moral transgression when you like don't want to look at it, but do it anyway. And like, that's sort of okay. Like that justifies, I guess, some of the animal killing in the film because they do actually eat them. And that is sort of all right. But they kick the pig. He kicks the pig. He like hurts the pig before they kill it. And it's just like a kick, but it upsets the pig. And that's not okay. I seriously think that needed to be removed from the film. Like, 100%, I want to morally stand behind the fact that kicking that pig was not okay. So you're going to kick the pig and you're not even going to get it on into the film? No, you don't kick the pig. You can shoot the pig, but you don't (laughs) kick it. Because most of what they did, they did after it was dead. You can do whatever you want to do after it's dead, but you can't kick it. And then you're just not allowed to kick it. Eating it does not justify kicking it. There's nothing about kicking it that's okay. I would argue maybe if you let the pig live and it has a happy rest of its life... Then if you want to like kick the pig for some reason that like evokes positive moral behavior in people, you can kick it maybe, maybe as long as it then gets to go live happily on a farm and it'll like get over your small kick, maybe, but you can't kick it and kill it. You just can't do that. Well, I think pig kicking should be entirely morally unacceptable. Is like that, is that you, what it is? Like a, our short <laughs> euphemism for like yes. gratuitous cruelty. Okay. And I don't think we even covered that enough in the Cannibal Holocaust. Did we episode? I think it came up for me like days later. I remember texting you about it. I can't sleep because humans are terrible because we kick this pit. It's like it's not okay that we kick the pain. It's really not okay. Uh, and then I had some idea for a ratio. I can't remember now what the fucking ratio was. It was some, I think it was a version of the rubric. I think it was like we should have a <laughs> broker roll. Sorry, I was a new one. She's a rule breaker. She's a she's a rule breaker. It was something to do with like the ratio of uh, gratuitous, like the ratio of like gratuitous violence to commentary. Hmm. Which which could just be a component of the of the rubric. I think that I think it was as I was deve- as this idea was progressing, but like, yeah, just that of how much gratuitous violence or how much gratuitous nudity or whatever is in that, in comparison to how much positive moral commentary they make. So that could be. I guess that could just be a piece of the rubric. Yeah, I like that. But I do think it's captured in the rubric. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Is there anything else? I forwarded, Laura, your thoughts on the perfection. Oh, yeah? About the the different parts of the film being movements in a yeah. symphony. Yeah. Well, and what you said about Anton, which now I don't remember, but I liked it. What did I say? You said something about it being a tableau. Oh, yeah, the tableau at the end, like, if it was meant in more of a metaphorical way than in a literal sense. And then also, I don't, I don't think they were trying to get revenge on him at the end. I know you disagree with that, but I feel like the revenge that they got on him was when they jumped on him and stabbed him and gouged out his eyes and whatever. And maybe, maybe by the end, they had found room in their hearts to still take care of him. Like, otherwise, why would they keep him alive? To punish him more! <laughs> Obviously, that's going to be You squishy, bleeding heart liberals. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that, though, because I hadn't thought... That hadn't really occurred to me. Actually, we were so hung up on the idea of it being punishment. 
I was. Oh, you, you, were I hung up on, you, were... you were hung up on like wanting it to be like super effective punishment. I still thought it was. I just wasn't oh. as like gung ho about like needing to right. be so punishing. That's the sadest in me that. But it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me like you said that maybe that actually wasn't their intent. Like maybe they had moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or like maybe it wasn't meant to be taken literally. Maybe it was just like at the end of the film we see them being able to play music together and then we see Anton totally messed up and they just have them in the same room for the convenience of being able to show that all in one shot. Yeah. No? I don't think so. <sighs> I need to get going soon. Yeah. I gotta get up at 545. Oh, God. Are I you still doing like an eight-hour commute? No, it's gonna. It's better. I park on campus now, which is a thousand Do you have a permit? I did, but I don't have it yet, but I have the temporary permit before the real permit. How'd you get a temporary system. permit? I they, I called them to get a permit, and then they were like, we, it'll take us a month to process it, but we can a give month? you a temporary one in the meantime. So I didn't get a temporary Oh, it was just on the phone whenever I was talking to whoever I was talking to. Oh, I'm unwilling to make phone calls. <laughs> so I guess that's the predicament I find myself in. <laughs> Did you, um... Look at this. <laughs> Say bye-bye. Bye. Well, if I don't get to see you again, it was really nice to see you at least uh, this time. Okay. Look at you, you big monster, cutie pie. Kitty cast. All right. Are you ready for your tableau time? That's the wrong word. Okay, meow. Can I take a picture of you with him? Yeah, from that angle so you can see him speaking into the mic. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Okay, let's go give you some treats. Bring up with us. Oh, you love me, huh? You do. You do. I know. I know. Come on. Come on, Mama. Okay. <laughs> Nobody touched the table. <laughs> <laughs> Keep talking. Does it look good? How's my waveform, Marshall? (laughs) 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 Nothing to get us in the mood to roll then. Dealing with technical situations. Uh, So we're good. We did. Yeah, for a new soundboard. That sound looks great. How'd you get it? Did you just decide to get it? The last one was a gift. <laughs> this looks like a lot more complicated answer than I can't remember. I think this really? is a birthday gift. I think the other one's Christmas. It. I've had it for yeah for oh, a while. I didn't realize that. It set up. You're not going to do that through the whole episode, because right? <laughs> it's really distracting. <laughs> it's my signature style. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen any creature films. Films? Films. Films? Films.
doing? Still bathroom breaks and podcasting? Go <laughs> this uh what do we do at the end it's the beginning well i know but 